So we are going to do a short series that I don't know if we've done this exact series as we've gone through the narrative of the scriptures uh, in Genesis, but uh, this is going to be a four-week series. Um, I, I kind of played around with some different names for this series. The one I landed on is Lion Lucy. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the character Lucifer, who's introduced to the story in Genesis chapter 3. But then we're going to talk about some of the topics sort of surrounding that topic and the, the, the bigger themes of Genesis 3 over four weeks. We're going to talk about uh, today, we're going to talk about the character Lucifer. And then we're going to look at the nature of temptation. And then we're going to look at sin. And then we're going to look at death, uh, which... Um, Maybe sounds like a, like a dark uh, intro to a series. I'm actually very uh, excited about this series. I think that to properly understand the goodness of the gospel, you have to properly understand the nature of what God is rescuing us from. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, according to uh, Barna Research, 98% of professing evangelical believers believe that Satan is a real being. Interestingly, 35% of non-evangelical believers believe that Satan is a real being. But he is the topic of our study this morning. So, uh, just to catch you up to speed, if you haven't, um, it's been a little while since we came out of the narrative, so we covered uh, basically Genesis chapter 1 for the most part. And uh, it, we have the story of God speaking uh, everything into existence, everything that is, the world as we know it. Uh, he created by the power of his word. And after creating the earth, he created man uh, and woman in his image. And he placed them in the garden that he had, uh, he had cultivated for them. He placed them there and he said, I'm, I'm giving this to you. And I have two requests, that you would uh, take ownership of the earth that I've made and that you would be fruitful and multiply. Uh, take ownership. As you take ownership, you'll be spreading out. As you spread out, be fruitful and multiply. And so God in his goodness gave them everything they needed for provision, placed them in a perfect environment. They were innocent before him. And... Genesis chapter 3, which as far as the Bible goes, is uh, very, very close to the very beginning of the story. But in Genesis chapter 3, it begins this way. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, to the woman, indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Did God say that you shouldn't eat of any of these trees? So what I want to do uh, this morning is uh, uh, provide some explanation of this character. Because now in our story, we have four characters. God is the first character of the story. God is the beginning of the story. Uh, God is always the beginning of our story. The good news of the gospel begins with God and his goodness. Adam and Eve are the second and third characters that are introduced. And now we have 
our fourth character. Here's the deal as we unpack a little bit about this fourth character. The scripture does not have a lot to say about this character. The scripture has some things to say. The scripture offers us a few stories that involve this character, Lucifer, uh, who's also known as Satan, who's also known as the devil. But the scripture as a whole does not spend a lot of time or effort explaining to the reader who this character is. So what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, a little bit of information that we're offered uh, in the scriptures. We're going to look at a few of the stories where he is a character involved and, and pull from that uh, some some truths that we can hold confidently. So I'm going to answer four questions this morning. The first one is, where did he come from? The second question is, what is he doing? The third question is, what are his abilities? And then the fourth question is, and this is where we'll land, uh, what do I need to know? Like, what, what is my takeaway? Why does this matter? So that's what we're going to do. So diving in, where did he come from? We know from the story in Genesis 1, Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. We know that everything that God has created, uh, he created good. Something transpired. We don't have exactly the timeline or the time frame uh, precisely, but there, there was something that happened between God creating everything, it being good, and Genesis 3, the, the arrival of the serpent uh, to, to deceive Adam and Eve. We know that his intentions are not good, we know that this, was, that this was Satan in disguise, that this was Lucifer uh, involved interjecting himself into the storyline. And so something, and again, this is something the Scripture doesn't really give us very much information on, but from the time that God created the material world, He created the angels, something took place and... Uh, Lucifer had fallen, had uh, turned against God, and is now involving himself uh, on the earth as an opposing force, um, as a villain in our story. Jude 1.6 says, the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds until under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So he's talking about not just the devil, but uh, demons as well. He's, there was something that happened where they rejected their rightful place. Second Peter 2, 4 says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but he cast them down 
into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for, for judgment. So there was a period of time where God had created angels, much like with Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam and Eve were created innocent. There was some, something transpired where uh, the angels that God had created, uh, some of them at least, rejected their rightful place before him, rejected him. There's a passage in Isaiah 14 which possibly uh, speaks to the nature of Satan's rejection of his rightful place before God. And the reason I say possibly is because oftentimes the prophetic writers will go from describing earthly events to describing uh, prophetic events or spiritual events with very, with very little, if any, delineation between the two in their writing. So this is an example of a writing where it seems to go into a description of something bigger than just a human king. This is what he says in Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who weakened the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. This reference of, of someone in a place of prominence who looked at the position, the placement of God as sovereign over all and said, no, I'm, I want that position. And as a result of that commitment is thrust down. So we know that, that, that Lucifer is, is a created being. He's an angel of God who at some point prior to Genesis 3 rejected God. Question number two. So what is he doing? Well, there's a couple of things that really get after what, uh, what he's up to. What is his activity now on the earth? The first one is, as we see in Genesis 3, it's played out, and we're going we're gonna to unpack uh, this uh, thematically uh, in the coming weeks, but what, what Satan is doing is he is tempting. He is drawing us away or seducing us away from God by placing uh, alter, uh, alternatives in front of us. With Adam and Eve, he takes this fruit that God had forbidden and he, and he draws their attention to it and says, maybe, maybe there's something here that you should have. Maybe there is something here that is better, that you would be better with it, and draws them away from God. 
In the story of Job, we have this very, uh, really sort of amazing and bizarre scenario unfold where Satan is, is standing before God talking about what's going on on the earth. And Job makes, or sorry, Satan makes his claim about Job. He says, with the right temptation, with the right set of circumstances, I bet you that I can draw his affection, his attention away from you. In Matthew chapter 4, we have uh, the story that you're probably familiar with, many of you, and that is the temptation of Jesus, where uh, Satan, on three different scenarios, presents something to Jesus, the man, the God-man. He presents to him a temptation, something that is, that is designed to draw his heart away from his Father, to to awaken a desire that is in competition with his love for his father, to awaken that desire and then to convince him to give in to that desire. I know that you have a desire to be king. I could make you king over the kingdoms of this earth if you would bow down to me. Because after all, bowing down would be an easier pathway than the pathway of the cross. Satan is tempting. Number two, Satan is lying. How does he draw us away from God? By distorting the truth about God. Jesus says of him in John 8, he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Satan doesn't accomplish. Uh, his, his temptation is not successful because he takes a good God and holds up something that is, that is destructive and uh, gross, he tempts us by, by lying about the benefit of walking in loving obedience to God and lying about the benefit of turning away from Him to sin. So he is tempting, he is lying, and then, and this is the crazy part, so he, he seduces, he tempts draws us away from God by distorting the truth about God, and then the moment that we give in to that and say yes to that temptation, we reject the truth about God, we accept the truth of this lie, and then we give in and we sin, He is the one who then turns around and becomes our accuser. So He is tempting, He is lying, and He is accusing. The moment that you say yes to sin, and you fall, Satan is the one saying to God, hey, did you see this? You see what he did? You see what she did? Why is he accusing? Because he loves defacing the image of God in you. He likes to muddy it up. Satan loves to highlight 
our flaws, our fallen nature to God, before God. You created these in your image? Look at them. They're a mess. It's like the kid who, wanting to cause harm to someone, takes one of their possessions and destroys it out of spite. Satan is an accuser. He is accusing. He is, he is working to deface the image of God and God's children. And lastly, he's a tempter, or he is tempting, he is lying, he is accusing. Lastly, he is destroying. He is destroying the handiwork of God in whatever way he is able to do so. Jesus continues on in John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning. His desire is your end. John 10, 10, the thief comes for only one purpose, to steal, kill, and destroy. I guess that's three. But he has one end goal in mind, your destruction. Because of his issue with God, his rejection of God, his beef against God, he, he knows he has no power over God directly, and so he works to deface the image of God, to destroy the handiwork of God by drawing us away from God and distorting the truth about God. That's what he's doing. That's what Satan is doing. Which is quite a project, I'll be honest. So what are his abilities? How does he do this? 1 Peter 5.8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we know that Satan can prowl. We know that he can roam. We know that he can wander about looking for opportunities. And yet, we also know from the story in Job, we know this from the story of Job, but we know this even uh, more generally from what we know about the character and nature of God, that Satan's abilities are limited by God's permissions. So Job goes to God and says, you know, if you took enough of his possessions away, I think that temptation would do him in. I think the, the reality of his lack of love for you would be revealed. And God says, I'll allow you to do that. And yet God puts parameters on him. He says, I'll allow you to do this, but not this. You can touch his, uh, you can touch his belongings, but you cannot touch him. And so Satan does. Job does not reject God. They have a follow-up conversation, and, and Satan says to the Lord, if you touch his body, you told me that I couldn't touch his body, but if you were to let me do that, I know that he would reject you. I know that the, the poor quality of his commitment to you would finally be revealed. And God says, I'll give you permission to touch his body, but you cannot kill him. Satan's capacities are limited by God's permissions. He operates within the confines of the sovereignty of God, God's will. He does not go where God does not allow. 
So he can roam about looking for opportunities. In his roaming, he is limited by God's permission. And number three, and this is so critical, because this, this gets into an area, I think, where Christians uh, carry an unwarranted fear. He cannot access your mind or your future. There's absolutely zero evidence that I can find in Scripture to suggest that Satan, like God, can see into your heart and mind or see into your future. His temptations are external to the person that he's tempting. With Adam and Eve, he doesn't access their mind. He simply presents them an opportunity, something in competition with God's will. With Job, he doesn't enter into Job's mind and heart to convince him from inside to reject God. His temptations are external. It's the same with Jesus. He presents some different opportunities to Jesus for, for Jesus to be seduced into disobedience to reject God by distorting the truth about God. But all of these temptations are external. It's like the server asking if I want dessert after my meal. The server isn't accessing my mind and heart to make me want that dessert. They've simply presented the opportunity which now has created a temptation in my heart. It's aroused a temptation in my heart. Satan does not have the capacity to know the future other than what God has revealed or to know your mind and heart other than what your actions have revealed. Satan's true power is the power we give him when we sin. That's the power that he wields, is presenting temptations that lead us to sin, and then sin does its work on our lives. Last question. So what do I need to know? What's relevant to me in my life right now? Two things. We'll wrap up with this. Number one, Satan runs when you fight right. James 4, 7 is such a, it's such a, like a stark, sterile statement. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. With almost no context, except he says this, James 4, 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The key to resisting the devil is not having the right potion or the properly worded denunciation. The key to resisting the devil is submission to God. It's saying yes to God. Resist the devil. Submit to God. He'll run. If you are saying no to God, then you are saying yes to the devil. Because to say to no to God is to accept sin, and that is the devil's power in your life. Jesus' strategy to overcome the temptation presented by Satan was very mundane. His strategy was simply this. He reminded Satan of the truth of God. No, you're lying, and this is true. And then he said yes to God. 
My father says this is true, and I agree with him. And Satan leaves. Satan runs when you fight right because Satan knows that he is a defeated enemy. He can read the same Bible that I read. He knows how it ends, just like I know how it ends. Which leads us to our last truth that you need to know now. Chris, you can go ahead and come up. Jesus is the only authority in heaven and on earth. Luke 10, 18, Jesus said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus, through his life, his righteous life, his innocent death, his, his substitutionary work on the cross has defeated sin, has defeated death, and taken away Satan's only power. Which is why he says in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus Christ is the only authority, not only in heaven, but here on earth. He is the highest authority. Yes, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But the rest of John 10, 10 says, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's my goal. And I have the authority to bring that about in your life. So as we jump in into greater detail into Genesis 3, I would say this. Fear not. The story is about to take a sad turn. Just like your story took a sad turn and my story took a sad turn. But Jesus wins. So with the great confidence that comes from knowing his authority in our lives, let's do together what the devil will not do. Worship God with hearts of love overflowing with joy in him. God, we're so thankful that we can live our lives before you in the absence of fear. Knowing that we do have enemies, we must be wise to those enemies and their strategies, but knowing that they have no authority in our lives, that you are sovereign over the enemy of our soul, you are sovereign over our lives. Your authority is unchallenged, unmatched, unparalleled. And so we say no to sin. We say no to Satan, and we say yes to you, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name.